This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What is up, everybody? How are you doing this fine afternoon or evening? Or maybe you're walking your dog. Maybe you're just like hanging out, trying to escape from maybe your family. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot of different things going on, I know, when I listen to podcasts. But if this is your first time here, we have discussions with people involved with independent music, whether that's creating it, documenting it, putting it out, playing it. And uh, this person signifies that because... They document a lot of it from a artistic visual perspective, also played it very instrumental within the, I don't know, I guess you would call it power violence scene, as it were. His name is Chris Norris. He played in a band called Combat Wounded Veteran, and he also is known in the art community, as it were, as Steak Mountain. I love his art. I love what he has brought to the table. He just has a really interesting style and sensibility about him. I mean, basically, he's a very, very self-deprecating person. And he says, I just draw, you know, brightly colored skulls and stuff like that, which, you know, is a little uh, diminishing his work. (laughs) But, um, you know, he'll be the first person to do that. Uh, But this was a really fun conversation. Chris uh, and I corresponded over Instagram many months ago because he was like, hey, listen to the show, like what you do, just want to tap in and say hi. And I was like, Chris, I actually wanted you on the show. Very serendipitous, happened perfectly. So uh, that's what we got. He's not really promoting anything, but uh, you can easily find all of his work at Steak Mountain M. TN.com. Yeah, I was just trying to say, like, we did remove all of the vowels. Yeah. Anyways, you can find all of his work there. He's done great stuff for a lot of different bands, a lot of different interesting projects, whether it's book covers, et cetera, et cetera. And then we talk about, you know, Combat Mooded Veteran because I freaking love that band and I got exposed to them pretty, you know, early on in my, uh, you know, punk and hardcore. I have to find every band from every genre and all their affiliated acts and what have you. And so once I got into the Florida scene, I was like, oh my gosh, Combat Wounded Veteran, just like how, what, what do you mean you've got like 28 songs? Like, what do you mean you did a, a split with Reversal of Man? Come on, I gotta know more. Anyways, let's talk about how you can support the show for absolutely free, zero dollars. It costs you nothing. 
You can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. You can leave a rating on the Spotify page. Also, I publish all of these episodes on YouTube, so if you like consuming the podcast that way, you can just follow along with the playlist, and then every time I publish a new episode, you get an update, all that fun stuff. You can also email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate any and all emails that come in, whether it's just like, hey man, just tapping in, want to share my band, want to share this idea with you, all that stuff. I love to hear from all of you. Anyways... I'm continuing on in my weekly tradition of recommending stuff to you because I just, I personally like the podcasts and stuff that I listen to or, you know, anything from a music-based algorithmic perspective. I'm always looking for new stuff. So this technically isn't new because it's a band that has existed for many years, but surprise dropped an EP. You know who I'm talking about. The Hope Conspiracy, Confusion, Chaos, and Misery EP. That thing came out, I want to say it was November of last year, 2023, and uh, I, it's so good. They do a, you know, an anti-Cymex cover, Cmex, I've never said that out loud, but, um, and it, I mean, it's pissed. It's everything you want from Hope Conspiracy. It's just, you know, nihilistic, just skulls and just blood and guts and everything in between. I... I'm a huge fan of Hope Conspiracy. Actually, I am thinking of a memory where the first time they came out to the West Coast, it was actually with uh, Every Time I Die. I saw them at the Showcase Theater in Corona, and they only had their demo out, but I was obsessed with it because I was lucky enough to get it out. I want to say it was like Hellfest 2001 or something like that. I got their demo out there and just just loved it. It's eventually turned into the 7-inch that they released on Life Records, which, why do I know these stupid details? Anyways, I just remember I got, uh, you know, singing along up front, got pushed back into the pit, and then I had a, a moment of terror because I am not like a, you know, whatever, swinging my arms, windmills, all that sort of stuff. Like maybe I'll do a circle pit occasionally, but I got pushed out to the middle of the floor and had that <laughs> fork in the road moment. Like, do I want to try this for the first time? And uh, I opted not to. And I just ran back up front and <laughs> started to sing along with them. So a very specific memory connected to Hope Conspiracy. But anyways please listen to their new EP. And I have a link in the show notes that you can follow along with the playlist on Spotify because I update that weekly for everything that I mentioned. So you can, you know, at any point you can duck into there and see all the stuff that I've enjoyed and recommended over the year. So that's what we got. Let's talk to Mr. Chris Norris from Combat Wounded Veteran, also known as Steak Mountain. Clearly, over the past, whatever, 10 to 15 years, you've been a, a man around town in regards to the uh, the book environment, which objectively, subjectively, whatever word you want to put in there, is like one of the hardest things to do. But I know you've articulated in the past, like, yo, it's easier than like putting together a movie. But mm -hmm. there has to be the idea of like a strategy around writing a book. Like I know there's like a million different ways you can, you know, skin a cat or whatever, but <laughs> how is it one of those things where it's like literally every day you wake up and are like, all right, dude, I got to get my, you know, seven pages in or like, how do you even tackle a project like that? Well, it's, I'm a little, it's, 
my viewpoint on it is, I think, a little bit different than someone who wants to be a writer. Let's put it that way. So for me, like, the book writing, the first book anyways, Hunchback 88, was something that I just kind of fell backwards into. And it wasn't about pages, and it wasn't about, I mean... I don't know if you've seen it, but for anybody who has out there, Hunchback Idiot is a fucking nightmare. It's not a, it's not a book like in the sense that like I don't know fucking for whom the bell tolls is a book, or you know right. fucking less than zero is a book or anything like that. It's it jumps around. It's really non-linear and it's more about texture and atmosphere and just general just throwing shit at the wall kind of book. Um, so. For me, that was like, I don't do, you know, to just get right to the point. No, I don't wake up every day and decide I'm going to write. I write sporadically uh, when I do write. And and that's kind of it. I, I'm Because I don't see myself as a writer. I see myself as a hobbyist who writes. You know, like I don't, just like I, this is the same way I, I feel about Steak Mountain. Is like if you're making a living off of whatever you do, then you can call yourself whatever that is. But if you're just somebody who, uh, you know, at 8 p.m. at night is like Xeroxing skulls, you know, for somebody's shitty hardcore record, I'm telling you I'm not an artist then. I'm a, just a, a hobbyist who gets some fucking burrito money occasionally from some friends who I just, you know, Xeroxed a, a fucking skull for a T-shirt for. And the same thing was with writing is that I think that, like, writing is, is incredibly hard. And... Especially, I think, for people who take it extremely serious um, or even kind of serious, not even extremely serious, just serious. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not one of those people. Um, and I just thought it was fun. And I Hunchback 88 came along and I'll just make this quick because I'm sure anybody listening to this has already heard 17,000 podcasts of me talking about this. But I had, I had a job where I didn't do anything that I was just had to be there from eight to five. When I came back to New York from San Francisco in 2009, I worked there for three years at this place in, uh, in Manhattan where I just had to show up like eight to five. And they were just like, just be here. You don't have to do anything. We just need you here just in case something happens. So I watched movies. I made, I did against me record designs there. I did everything, but I started to write screenplays because I love movies. Um, and I just knew that I would never make them cause I, I just don't have that kind of drive. And I was like, well, I could probably just kind of start fucking around and turning him into a book. And that's essentially what Hunchback 88 was, is just this collage of like three kind of slasher film things, uh, you know, slasher film scripts and whatever. And then so, you know, whatever. But then during the pandemic, I had started something uh, I had started something else called The Holy Day, which is the the new book that recently came out in in October 2023. Uh, on Rose Books, and that was a little bit more like pointed. And I wanted, I was writing something I think a little bit more linear. But again, I think it's linear, but I'm, I know it's not. And people have told me it's still a difficult pain in the ass book, and that's totally fine. But I, yeah, I guess I'm sorry. This is such a long winded answer, to, but ultimately to answer, uh, no, uh, I don't wake up every day. I don't take it seriously. I've been extremely lucky with, with the visibility and interest in the books that I've written, but in no way do, uh, do I consider myself a writer in any, in any capacity. And it's just like another thing that I do. I've done a lot of shit, you know? 
Um, right, right. It, it's the the discipline, as it were, where it's like, yeah, you're not you, you. To your point, you use this as a tool for expression, and like that, the flight of fancy of being like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll write a book, whatever. Like, yeah. it's not this like, all right, man, I'm gonna really chisel away at this, uh, you know, this this stone of marble. Yeah, and, and I wish I could, but I don't even think I have like a, I don't even think I have a story like that. I don't think like that. Now, my goal in life is to eventually get to a point if I continue to write books where I'm just writing the world's most basic bitch shit. Like I'm writing like an airport thriller or a or a fucking you know Judy Collins fucking book or something. That's the dream is to have the most generic, like base basic bitch fucking thing that I've written. But I I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I could ever end up being that boring, but I wish I could be like, I wish. So I, I'm, but I just don't, I don't think like that even when I'm writing because I'm like not concerned if any of you fuckers understand what's going on, you know, and my, like the clarity of my writing or whatever. I I tried a little bit more for Rose books because it was a challenge to see how, how shaped it could be and how pointed it could be and how, kind of literate it could be because Chelsea's readership and her reach and the crowd that she like caters to the fan base, whatever are people who actually fucking read for hunchback 88. I was catering to like, you know, mutants and idiots and goofballs and weirdos because, and not that was not my intention, but that's just, you know, the kids who bought it are kids who know steak mountain. you, You know what I mean? And like with Rose books, it was a little bit different and how I've been describing the difference between the two books is, is that like Hunchback 88 was my scrappy indie. Like if it was a movie and the Holy Day is like, is my first studio picture. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's, it's a little bit more uh, focused and a little bit more, you know, like some editorial, like, you know, uh, notes were, were taken and, and considered, but it's still like, a, a like, you know. Still, kind of a kind of a a, a goofy ride, but and I, I guess like one of the things I've been relating it to in with that statement is, and I in no way am comparing myself to this artist in any capacity because he's actually good, and I've just been lucky. Is it's the difference between uh, David Lynch's Eraserhead into the Elephant Man? You know, it's sure. like Eraserhead's this fucking nightmare. I I'm I'm always hesitant to say shit like fever dream in quotes, but realistically speaking, it is. And then you watch the Elephant Man, and it has a, a linear story. It's still a little weird. It's still a David Lynch movie. There's still all these like touches. You know what I mean? But he won a fucking Oscar. There was Oscars involved in that movie. You know what I mean? So that's kind of always how I relate the difference between the two books. But but in no way. I mean, I could just stop right now. I mean, I you know I started working on another book, but I. I it, it, you nobody you know we might be talking about it in five or six years you know what i mean because that's because i again i write like oh yeah i'm gonna write a little piece here hmm. you know right. I, oh, i'm gonna write a little piece here but i i'm not disciplined enough because i i don't i'm, I'm not a writer and no one's knocking yeah. down my door you know like rose books like the success of of the holy day in its like minor scale hasn't given me like uh you know agents aren't knocking down my door and Penguin Random House isn't calling me. You know, it's like I don't have a reason to write. No one's interested in the next book yet. You know what I mean? And yep. so I just, uh, yeah. Anyways, man, you just twirl I, away. Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you, you're gonna have to like reel me back in, dude, because like I will That's fucking, fun. I will talk for 15 minutes about nothing. So you're, I fine. apologize. Is, you know, it's okay. Well, first of all, welcome to the world of podcasts. And second, of I all, know, it's totally I know. Fun. 
Well, like I've done a couple of these things where like all of a sudden it's like literally three hours later and I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> you know totally. I mean? Yeah, you're like, where are we? Why do we wander in here? No, I yeah. totally get that. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, I, I, I got you. We'll, we'll reel you back. So, All right, good, the, please. <laughs> the, uh, I know, correct me if I'm wrong, you were actually, were you born in Salem, Massachusetts? Or yes. Is that, no, okay. I, was, that, I was born and raised in Salem, um, and I left in uh, 1989, and we moved to right outside Tampa, Florida. Got it. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the, like Salem is a weird ass city, and then yes, on top it of it, Tampa is also a weird ass <laughs> city. But I'm sure <laughs> very different experiences. Obviously, like, do you have? I mean, do you have memory of Salem? I know you. Oh, absolutely. Like, okay, got it. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I left at 13. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm 46. So I, I was cognizant enough. You know what I mean? Through you know what I mean? And I, 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 I remember. Uh, you know, my childhood there and and the things I used to do. And, you know, I haven't been back in a really long time, even though I have relatives in that area. Um, but, and it's literally like, you know, five hours away from New York, but I've just, I haven't been back in probably 20 years. Um, so, but yeah, no, I do. And yeah. And then we moved to Tampa. So they're both, yeah, they're both odd. I always like that, like the origin story of Steak Mountain and that kind of like, oh, I grew up in Salem and then moved to a trailer park in Tampa is is actually such a good story. I'm, and I love it <laughs> because it's so goofy because <laughs> most people are like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm from Dayton. And then I, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I moved to just Nevada City. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. You know, so it's it's a cool two places to kind of grow up in. Um, or weird, yeah. you know what I mean? Odd places to grow up in, you know? So. Totally. They have they have their own distinct person. I mean, every city has its own distinct personality, good or bad. But, like, yeah, these are two interesting yeah. spots that, uh, you know, have uh, different <laughs> different yeah. connotations and different histories. And, they yeah. do, yeah. No, yeah, one's one's cool and one's, like, a punchline, punchline of a joke. I know, you know what I mean? So, you yep. know, it, which is fine. Oh, like, oh, Tampa? Oh, g- cool. Yeah, great. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. What was the? Uh, I presume the move to Tampa was that based off of like your you know family switching jobs or whatever. Oh uh, no, yeah, my grandparents were uh, in uh, St. Petersburg, and uh, my grandfather had passed away from uh, pa- passed away from leukemia, and my mom is is one of four children, but is the is the child who had the job that didn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, so I have an like an aunt who's a chemist in a hospital in Salem, and an uncle who works for Exxon. You know, so everybody had these real jobs, and my mom was just like data entry at like Salem Hospital, so she could get up and move to go help my grandmother, and took everybody with her, obviously. You know, and uh, I was really excited about Florida because I I literally thought we were moving into like a Frankie and Annette movie from like the sixties. You know, I was like. Like I thought, I thought it was going to be beach blanket bingo, but I, instead we got kind of like kind of deliverance, you know what I mean? So I, I was a kind of a culture shock for sure. And I, and and as a kid, I was like, definitely like an indoor kid, you know, like I had friends, I'm sure I played with other kids and things like that, but I, I loved movies and I loved comics. So I spent a lot of time either alone or like bullying my little brother and then being alone. So in Tampa, when we moved into a trailer park, there wasn't, you had to go out because it's too small of a fucking space. So that was more of a culture shock because kids in a trailer park in Florida are exactly what you think they are. They're a stereotype, you know, it's like 13 year old drug users and all these like, you know, it's, it's like 
clans members, <laughs> clan members and shit like that. It was like really like, like couldn't be more of like a generic like trailer park scenario in Florida, you know? Um, sure. You know, and like the one, the one, the one girl who was like, I'm going to bring my black boyfriend home to my parents. And it was like a whole thing. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, it was like, it was like scary and weird. And, uh, but also like kind of cool and interesting because it was so nasty and fucking obviously just informed my enthusiasm for like the lower rungs of life, you know, of society. Oh, absolutely. Well, when, especially when you experience it not only firsthand, like you're not being the, you know, the tourist, you're not visiting a trailer park for, you know, a couple hours and being like, oh yeah, like this is what it is. You're like, I get it. No, I, <laughs> I lived, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. like, no, I lived it. And like, there's, I mean, and plus too, the idea, like you said, of being outside, the fact that there was the ability for you to be outside year round as opposed to, you know, Salem where it's like, you know, we're holed up for like three months, you know, cause it's freezing. We can't, it's freezing. And I'm, you know, we're going to go to the movies. We're going to go to the fucking video store. We're going to go to the comic book store and then that's it. You know what I mean? Yep. So like, and then going to stay home all the time as much as possible. You know what I mean? So no, yeah, but, but yeah, but no, yeah, absolutely. It's, it was a interesting childhood for sure. That's one way to put it. <laughs> sure. Was the, uh, you know, I know that uh, you'd mentioned previously, it's like, you know, getting airdropped into Florida and obviously like, you know, death metal is popping off. Like yep. you, was the introduction, cause are you the oldest child in the, the group of you? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's you me and my little having... brother, uh, chunk. Okay. So Got it. yeah. And, uh, but I was already like, I was already like a, like a little metal kid, you know, um, I was more like of a hair metal kid and, and, and I loved Motley Crue and I loved glam rock and stuff like that, but I was still very aware of things like Slayer and Maiden and things like that. So like when we, and I was like a horror movie nut. So when we came into Florida into Tampa, I mean, it's 1989. So, uh, you know, obituaries like slowly re-rod is happening. And, uh, you know, the deicide record is the first deicide record is about to come out. And there was a huge, article in our local like alternative free weekly which was called creative loafing about this deicide show where they had thrown they threw guts and blood on the crowd and i was like what the fuck is this you know why was i not there yeah yeah like this is fucking incredible so i was 13 and read this thing and it changed it it really like that article changed changed my life because it showed me something i didn't i didn't know was happening even though and it really kind of like set a different course for me and i i met and i was in middle school and i and i met uh paunch dan shook who i started combat with um we were in an art class together and we were both kind of horror movie kids and we kind of gravitated to each other and then we started going to shows like my first show was like uh was a was a deicide monstrosity cirrhosis show and it was uh, it had a massive effect on me, but it was like the prime time to be in Tampa for this, you know. Sure, there was like all these guys were moving. Cannibal Corpse was about to move. Like we would see David Vincent from Morbid Angel around the fucking around town all the time. It was like these guys were just around. It was like kind of neat being young and kind of seeing these people who we thought were like larger than life, you know. Yeah, well, and that's incredible too. From especially. I mean, you can make that connection with punk and hardcore because it was definitely, you know, more like hand to mouth. But, you know, metal at that point was, like you said, you know, popping. 
and mm-hmm. to actually humanize metal where you're just like, oh, dude, they're David Vincent. That's insane. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. That yeah. makes it more tangible for you, which is like awesome. And that is exactly what you needed at that age. Yeah, it was it was it was really incredible. And, and it was neat because like there was this place called Aces Records and Aces Records was kind of like the heart of the death metal community in Tampa. And they would do in stores and you just walk in there and like the Tardy Brothers from Obituary would just be hanging out. And it was like in a fucking it was in a flea market in Oldsmar, which is like outside of Tampa. And it was just like you just go there. We'd go there and be like, oh, we're going to buy, you know, whatever. We're going to go buy some fucking tapes. And you just see these guys hanging out. And it was like so awesome for us as kids you know just yeah because humanizing it and being like oh these right. these guys just look like dirty older versions of us <laughs> <You're> <laughs> you like, know I, yeah i, I, I see myself i see my future being laid out before me <laughs> yeah it was really cool and then and then eventually like what ended up happening was we veered off the road a little bit um because Chris Barnes from Cannibal Corpse did vocals on, on an ASUC 7-inch, a guest vocal. And we were like, what the fuck is this? Like, ASUC thing. And we went to a show at this place called The Blue Chair and saw ASUC and probably, like, Scrog and some other local, like, kind of heavy but not death metal or even metal bands. And we and, uh, it, and it, that changed our life, too, like Ponch and I, you know? So we... Yeah. We we really like you know, and then obviously we went down that road, and not long after that we were buying Slapaham records and finding about fucking more grindcore and power violence and punk in general, you know, because also at that time like we were starting to get into punk, but like not cool punk, like lame punk, like epitaph shit, you know. Sure. So yeah, it was like the running more, this, the more mainstream. Yeah, 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 we were running this this double road. Yeah, sure we knew about Black Flag and sure we knew about GBH and things like that because you kind of pick up that stuff even through death metal or grindcore. But we were also like going to see fucking Pennywise play and being like, okay, cool. Yeah, and, and the Offspring. You're like, you're like, no you're like lag, Lagwagon's pretty good. Yeah, right? yeah, Lagwagon's yeah. all right. That for me that faded pretty quickly, but like, um, sure. but but. You know, there's still a good like run of high school and just going to those shows on top of going to see Bolt Thrower play or, you know, fucking seeing Sepultura before they were huge or, you know, things like that. So, yeah. But, well, and I think it's I, I, I think it's very emblematic of many of our experiences as we start to collect these musical genres where we just like the stuff we can't really describe besides like it's loud and fast or whatever. Sure. But you being able to sample that wide swath of bands like is very informative of obviously the art that you create and all that stuff just being able to be like okay you know i I can see what they're doing over here and i can see what they're doing over here and like somewhere in the middle i'll land or whatever yeah yeah and and, then eventually yes (laughs) eventually i did let's get your closet right rockabilia.com is the place where you can order band merch officially licensed band merch from bands like brimming the Horizon, grateful dead you're talking about Ozzy Osbourne, Corn. I don't care what you're into. You're going to be able to find something there. But what's cool about it is they're giving you a discount by using this promo code 100 words or less, 10% off your entire order. It ships from the Midwest here in the United States of America. It gets to you lickety split. And like I said, officially licensed merch. That means the bands get paid because let's be honest, there's a lot of bootleggers out there right now. And, you know, it used to be where it's like you would buy something randomly off Amazon and you get it and be like, oh my gosh, like the quality is terrible. And I know for a fact the band is not seeing any money whatsoever with this. But 
fear not. That's not what you'll get with Rockabilia. You'll get high quality merch, all officially licensed. And they're just a great company. Like punk and hardcore kids work there. Like they're the real deal. And I love the fact that they have been able to support the show for as long as they have because they believe in this show and obviously the voice of independent music. So go to rockabilia.com, use the promo code 100 words or less. That's the number 100, 10% off your entire order. Thank you very much, Rockabilia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Were you always, you know, I mean, I know you self-described indoor kid, like, did you find yourself gravitating towards art, like, you know, as you started to go into high school and, you know, draw skulls and everything like that? (laughs) I mean, I was always an art kid. Um, I was always drawing in Salem and everything. And I I was always very, like, I think, got noticed, you know, a lot by art teachers as some sort of talent in some, in some capacity. And so I, I was always interested in art, um, And then when, uh, you know, when I went into high school, I went to a performing arts high school in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, because I, you know, I moved, when I moved to Tampa, I went into eighth grade and, uh, I had a graphic arts teacher there. Um, it was a graphic arts class. It wasn't called art. It was actually like graphic arts. And I was like, that's weird. So we did screen printing and we did mono prints and all these other things. And I, there were some kids there who were submitting their portfolios to go to this performing arts high school. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That sounds fucking stupid. And uh, he convinced me to do it. And it's one of those, and it might've set the tone for how I operate in general, but I, uh, making any art or doing anything is that like I procrastinated. And then the night before I did all the assignments that you have to do before the, uh, essentially what is an audition, you know, at this art school and, and everybody who in my class who applied didn't get in, but me, (laughs) they all tried hard and they did their self portraits and they did all this fucking dumb shit. And the night before I was like, self portrait, uh, 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 draw still life, you know? And, And my mother at the time, you know, she was like, you know, what the fuck's wrong with you, Christopher? You know what I mean? Like, God damn it. You always fucking procrastinate, you know? And, and, and I ended up getting in and it was hilarious. Um, 
and I'm always just extremely lucky I've found in life like that. And uh, it just makes me not try very hard in a lot of situations because I'm like, ah, eh, whatever. <laughs> it, worked I'll, it works. It's going to fucking work out. I always get what I want. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> so oh, I'm going to write a or, book and then somebody puts it out and I didn't even really have to try. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's, it's really annoying, actually. And I don't look at I don't look my luck in like, a, you know, I don't. I don't uh, take it for granted. I just uh, sometimes I'm just like, whatever, I'm probably going to get this thing. So that happened, but I've always been interested in art and, um, you know, and then, uh, I have a feeling you're about to ask a question. So I'm going to stop talking. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're killing it, killing it. The, uh, and so, like you were kind of talking about the you know life plan, as it were, I presume was not um, you know clearly drawn where your you were going to you know end up doing what your parents did or anything like that, or like you said, you know, pursue uh, further school or what have you. Was there not saying a goal? Was there a sort of target that you're like, oh yeah, I just want to like you know draw skulls and eventually make you know some art for bands or whatever? Was there any vision towards that, or just basically no, poking? No, not the at, okay. not at all. I, I grew up i I grew up in the kind of house that didn't. My parents didn't um, not encourage me, you know, but my parents are very realistic people who are like. And I'm sure a lot of creative kids' parents are like this, where, like, you should have a backup plan. We, it wasn't even like they sh- I should have a backup plan. They were just like, don't count on this because, like, you you know what I mean? But you, you should just make sure that you just have a job somewhere. But, you know, but they just knew that it was it was the rarest thing in the world. And they're not – they're Philistines. They don't know shit about art and they don't know anything about being creative. Nobody in my family is creative but me. So – but they were more just like, you just need to be realistic. You know what I mean? Like, and you should always make sure that you have a, a real job. And if this other stuff works out for you, that's cool. But I never, ever, ever in my life even thought that I would be in some sort of artist as a career. I just always was like, well, I guess I'm going to work at Taco Bell. And I guess I'm going to get an office job. You know, I just didn't ever really think, I didn't aspire to it. Um, right. And realistically speaking, at the end of high school, when I was done with this arts high school, I was like, I don't even fucking like doing this shit. Like I hate making art. Um, not because I think I'm bad or my confidence is low. I just like, I don't even now I don't love doing it at this point in time at 46. My life is now on the other side. I'm just, it's, you know, I'm going to die somewhere in the next 20 to 30 years. And I've been doing this shit for this long. So I guess I'll just keep doing it because occasionally I can buy a really expensive box set of Blu-rays because some asshole wanted a Xerox skull, you know? So I just, at this point, I don't like doing it. It's not fun for me. Like I don't, like I don't have something deep inside my fucking soul where I have to create or I feel weird. Dude, if I was rich tomorrow, I'd never fucking make another piece of goddamn fucking art again in my life. I would sit around and watch movies. Um, Right. right. It's just not rewarding to me. Like the clout is a, a rewarding because like clout is really the only currency anybody has in 2023. And yep. so like, I'm not chasing clout, but I just, you know, I, I've done a certain kind of level of work and people know it. And, you know, I'm on fucking podcasts cause I make this fucking shitty art that is maybe not shitty, but I call it shitty cause I have a Boston upbringing and everything is shitty. And everything is self-deprecating. <laughs> yes, everything is self-deprecating. And so I just think like, I, but then like in high school, at the end of high school, I was like, I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. I hate drawing. I hate making art. I love art. 
I love other people's art. I was always excited about everybody else's work and just art in general uh, of all the arts, you know, dance, movies, painting, everything, you know? Um, but I thought I was just going to stop doing art. I was just like, well, I've graduated high school. I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to get on a bus like Comet bus and go fucking see what San Francisco's about. And I traveled around a little bit, but somewhere in there, Ponch and I decided we wanted to start a band because I don't know, things like crossed out and what was happening on the West coast for the power violence scene, capitals, casualties, man is the bastard was really exciting for us. And we were like, we could do this actually. Right. And we could do some, some version of this. Yeah. Some version of this. And then when combat started, well, there was a band before combat called pioneer spirit, but it lasted not very long. And then combat was our band after it. Um, I realized I was going to be the only person in the band who could do the art, you know, like Pontius was always pretty good about, you know, making like Xerox stuff like that. But I just, I knew that I, I had maybe like a little bit, I had something else. And so when we started combat, it was interesting for me because I didn't want to do black and white. It's ironic now. Cause all I want to do is black and white artwork. But then I was like, very like, I was like, okay, there's a lot of bands who are like, here's a burned baby, you know, and I'm going to Xerox it and I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a stenciled fucking name on top of it. And I didn't want to do work like that. So I thought when combat was like a fast band, I was like, Oh, it's so funny that we should do these fluorescent cover colors and do all this weird kind of like, not what our music sounded like kind of art. Um, and then it just kind of expanded from there. And yep. at, at some point in time, I took it more seriously and then that died. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, the well, it, it's funny because the the through line and not only obviously the art that you create, but then you, combat wounded veteran, the idea of being able to, you know, play out and obviously combine the um the the burden of creating the art <laughs> and then yeah. also the fact that you know you could play in a band and stuff like that did you um and i i promise this isn't like a loaded question like did you no. enjoy <laughs> pl- playing in a band or was it kind of like just the vehicle in which you could see you know getting out of tampa it's a little bit of both i think at the time like when we started we had a, a drummer named combat had a drummer named puma it was our first drummer and he wasn't very good um, he was fine, but he wasn't very good. And then we were looking for a new drummer and we got a, uh, this kid named Mark Munchiger who was like the strangest kind of kid because he wasn't a hardcore kid. He was kind of like a, a, like a hip hop kind of like, but like backpacky kind of hip hop kid who was kind of friends with some of like end of the century party and some of these, like some of our peers in Tampa. And he was in Ithaca going to school and he would come back for winter break or summer break and we got along with them and we did one, I think we did one practice with them and he could fucking blaze, dude. He was an incredible drummer. And then all of a sudden we were a good band, you know, we were like, oh, fuck. Like, and it was enjoyable when I was doing vocals, when I was on vocals later in combat, I, I, I switched to guitar and we moved Ponch from bass to vocals. But at the beginning of combat, it was fun. And some of it was, it was a good time because I liked I, it's, you know, maybe this is like the secret of the front person who like, doesn't ever really say this, but I liked abusing the crowd. Like I loved, I loved, I loved fucking with people. I loved playing for 10 minutes and hitting as many people as I could and being mean to people where you, you know, you mean to, 
you could talk shit on the street, you're probably going to get popped. But you have a microphone in your hands and you're talking to a bunch of kids with fucking choker beads and like jinkos and you're making fun of them and it's 10 minutes and it's 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 couched in um like bleeding blistering 30 second bursts of crazy fucking chaotic hardcore you can get away with it and i was really i really loved that actual element of combat right well especially too like i think i mean even me like i never got to see well i don't even correct me if i'm wrong you guys actually never made it out to the west coast right yeah we did we were i when you were talking to jeff and you were talking about the pch shows oh yeah that's right no i did see you guys okay that's right yeah, you did. We well, played the second. We played in two thousand at PCH with Reversal because yes, that yes. was our tour. Yeah, we did yes, a whole okay. nine week tour with Reversal and or in ninety nine rather. I'm sorry, um, no, ninety no, no. eight was the was the Reversal Asset tour at PCH landed there, and then the next summer after the summer after it, a Combat and Reversal did this thing called the Electric Youth Crew tour. It was nine and a half weeks, and yeah, we played PCH. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. And it, Point being, the idea of like you being able to lean into this, you know, version of yourself, like similar to what you obviously do with, you know, Steak Mountain, where it's like, <laughs> yes. oh, yeah, like I have license to be this, like, completely, you know, whatever, Bostonian, you know, butthole or whatever. Like, just yeah, no, total be- dick. Yeah. For sure. Right. Like, to like ham it up, but like, that's obviously a part of your personality. Yeah. And, and then also the confrontational aspect of like literally everything that combat booted veteran did of just like try to get into this, you know, just I dare you to like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of I dare you to like this. Yeah. For sure. And it, and it, and it worked out somehow. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, it, and it's I can't ever tell if any of it's good, but it's something. And I think we had a very interesting I mean, the visuals were obviously drew people in and the competence of my visuals, uh, which I can be egotistical about that, that mm-hmm. like, I think we were able to uh, be part of this wave that happened. Um, and we became fast friends with a lot of bands who were just kind of like, it was a zeitgeist moment to use a, a corny ass term that everybody loves to use these days. But it really was that because like when I was making that art for combat and doing fluorescence at the same time, you know, uh, Brian Chippendale and all the Fort Thunder kids are doing the same kind of thing in Rhode Island, you know, like, and we don't know each other, but we're all like, oh, you know, let's do aggressive music. And then it's packaged in this crazy fucking art, you know? And, um, but yeah, you know, like it was, it was, it was, uh, you know what? I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying anymore. No, you're but, fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'll, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back. The idea, yeah. t- the idea too. Did you, you know, I mean, going on tour is a whole, you know, can of worms that a lot of people have expectations to, and then they go out on the road. I mean, you know, the romanticism of the van and the open road and all that stuff exists, but was, did your expectations meet the reality? Did you enjoy touring or was it, you know, like not all that it was cracked up to be? No, I loved it. I loved touring because I was, and this will be the only sentimental, nostalgic probably emotional thing I'll say during this is that I was on tour with my best friends. You know, we mm-hmm. had a, we, you know, Ponch, but not only Ponch, but like the guys in reversal and who eventually mostly joined combat in the end, you know, it's just like, it was a really amazing summer, but also like, I've always been a low key understanding, uh, oppor- opportunities when they happen. And when combat knew we were going to tour that summer, I was like, well, we could ask anybody in Tampa to go with us, but why wouldn't we go ask 
other than ASIC, the biggest band in Tampa, which is Reversal of Man. And I just mm-hmm. knew if we were booked a nine and a half week tour with Reversal at the height of their popularity via that 10 inch, that no one would ever have to worry about anything because kids would just come out every fucking night. And they did. You know, so we didn't really have to struggle to get people to show up. Now, Combat in its own right was obviously like part of this wave of people who, of bands who everybody really loved, like Orchid and, you know, I can't even think of any other peers at this point in time, but Jerome's Dream or anything like that. Um, yep. Or even just Tampa bands like End of the Century Party or Ga- bands in Gainesville like Palaka or Asshole Parade. But <clears throat> because we shared a guitar player, um, with reversal, which was Dan Raddy, um, you know, it just made sense also, but yeah, we, we were really lucky that summer. I mean, reversal of man fell apart like a week and a half into that tour and they toured as a three piece for the rest of the summer. But you know what? That ended up working out too, because they were an incredible three piece, you know? So, and then when we got home from that tour, I joined reversal and was in the band until the end, which was about a year, a year later. But like, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Touring was awesome. It was fun. You're in your twenties, you're, uh, with your friends, you're talking shit, you know, you're meeting people, you know, and you're playing fun shows that a bunch of kids are like losing their fucking minds during. And it it was, it was awesome. You know, it was a really cool summer, you know? So I have only the fondest memories of it and you know, well, I appreciate I appreciate I appreciate you being sentimental because I know, like you said, that that's not something that uh, you know you really publicly display. No, <laughs> so, but I think yeah. at this point in time, like twenty plus years on, like it's just like I, you know, the bit only goes so far, and it usually goes what's fucking five feet in front of me, you know. So I can look back on things and be like, well, you know what, that was a good time, and it was, and I'm not gonna lie, like I. I, I, you know, we still, all, all of us still talk, you know what I mean? We're all still friends, you know, right. for the most part, you know, there's a couple of stragglers here and there who've fallen out with the, with the core group of guys or whatever, but, um, cause it's always guys. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, no, it was a great time. We had an awesome time. I, uh, you know, yeah. and I, I love talking to him and, and us getting, uh, you know, uh, uh, not teary eyed, but you know, just waxing nostalgic. And I get reminded of things that I'm like, Oh, I, I forgot about that. It's awesome to talk about that stuff and kind of play against each other's memories, you know? Yeah. So, well, and I, and I think too, it's not like the old man in the porch regaling people about, you know, the fourth touchdown pass they threw at the homecoming game or whatever. Sure. It is because the, there is that lasting, effect of everything that you know we the collective scene experienced like by being in these small sweaty rooms touring like you just just doing it because like no one paid attention to it and then all of a sudden you have these like 20 30 40 year relationships where it's like that's not common like that's weird (laughs) yeah no it it is weird yeah but like but like me and the boys were all gonna die together you know sure and that's cool to me you know yeah so like you know everybody's yeah you can be nostalgic about it yeah Yeah. everybody you know everybody's married now or has fucking kids or has like cool careers and it's 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 exciting to have created these bonds with everybody um and now and now i just i feel like the human embodiment of the reversal man tenage um so (laughs) 
of course. So let's move on to <laughs> snuff. You got, well, let's talk about snuff videos and. Uh, yeah, well, I, actually, it, it's perfect you bring that up because clearly everybody who's ever spoken to you on the internet in some capacity mentions the fact that it's like, oh, dude, like Chris was into porn and like had sure. you know. Like, I the the thing that I find fascinating about it is I mean like everybody that I know that has either you know worked in the porn industry or like had some affiliation with it there was always this like real um you know disconnect or it's not even disconnect but just the fact it's like yeah this is a job and like it's pretty sick because like there's like wild hours and like you know like there's <laughs> there's there's a lot of flexibility of people being able to you know, kind of do what they want. The sure. thing that I wanted to drill down with you on is the fact that, you know, you're a set decorator and clearly that is like the first thing, of course, people pay attention to in porn is the set decoration. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like, Oh my God, that lamp looks so good in front of that naked women and that dude with that giant cock. I love evilgreed.net. They are a web store solution for record labels and bands and what have you. But let me just put that aside by saying the fact that you can order merch, shirts, vinyl, CDs, so much stuff that they offer, but they have a very specific point of view. They're looking at this through the lens of what I would like to call artistic heavy stuff. <laughs> They're based in Berlin, Germany, but trust me in saying, if you like this show, you will absolutely love what evilgreed.net has to offer. First of all, use this promo code. It is 100 words it gets you 10% off your entire order. And I know I said they're based out of Berlin, Germany. So you might be a little, little, little skittish, a little nervous about ordering from them because it's going to either take a long time or the shipping super expensive. Both of those are false. <laughs> the shipping is very, very fast as far as like, you know, getting over. I've ordered from them before and I've got my orders in like less than a week. You know, of course there's extenuating circumstances, but trust me in saying you can order with them with confidence and the shipping rates are very advantageous for us right now here in America. So please hop on that. Let me just list some of the bands that they work with. They got Integrity, Gouge Away. They also work with a ton of cool record labels like Pure Noise Records, Triple B, so many cool things. And I don't care if you are into, you know, punk, hardcore metal, as long as it has that, you know, through line of artistic heavy stuff, like I said, Evil Greed has it. So check out evilgreed.net use the promo code 100 words and it gets you 10 percent off your entire order so enjoy shopping and buy a bunch of stuff enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm signing up and playing is so easy simply sign up using code buckeye and receive up to 1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matter more than ever place your money line prop and parlay bets with a king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to 1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm guessing it gave you like it gave you this this element of freedom where you're just like I can be as wild and as weird as possible and then it's still a job because obviously like I have to make it look cool like did you um, 
I, this is kind of a cliched question, but like, sure. did you feel creatively fulfilled? I guess, was it just like, or a funny lark of being like, oh yeah, it's a cool job. So I'll just take it. No, let's go back a little bit on that one. Please. So for years and years and years, um, even back to the combat era, I always was saying like somebody, you know, cause I'm such a, um, I love movies. I love all kinds of movies. You know, you can put me in front of a musical. You can put me in front of a Western. You can put me in front of a Pixar movie. You can put me in front of a porno. I love all movies. I love the form. It's my favorite, favorite art. And, um, but I always kind of, a lot of my heroes are porn directors, um, or dabbled in the porn industry. A lot of people who I creatively are huge influences on me. And early on, people would be like, oh, you should direct movies. And I was like, realistically speaking, what I want to do is I want to direct pornography. Because I always would see pornography as this really great, <clears throat> um, like, win-win situation. Like, you can do a piece of pornography. And let's say, how I always say it is that... Uh, especially as far as modern pornography goes, you can do whatever the fuck you want in a scenario in pornography. You've got 10 minutes to do your thing and then you need to get out of the way. So you could experiment with anything that you wanted as long as there was naked fucking happening in it. And it's a win-win situation because naked fucking always sells no matter what context it's in. And so I always loved pornography because I would be like, yeah, I could make movies, but I could also make porn movies make the goofy little fucking thing that I like that I want to try to fuck around with. But as long as like, you know, we've got, uh, you know, fucking whatever, uh, two people boning in it, it's going to work out. But it's a creative, like, like it's a very experimental and, and, and creatively open kind of genre that I always was really excited about. But I never really thought that I would ever make my way into it. Um, because even being in Tampa and with like, you know, being kind of a lot of porn stars live there, like, you know, Stormy wasn't there yet, but like Peter North lived there. And, you know, there's a lot of porn happening in Tampa, but you just like, you are disconnected from that world because I'm just a hardcore kid. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? So, of course, right. you know, so when I was in, um, I was here in New York and, um, and obviously at that time, the alt boom, the alt porn boom was happening. So like vivid alts and, you know, Dave Naz doing stuff and burning and, angel and yeah. burning <laughs> angels, all that stuff is happening. So, there's like kind of this, this, this opening, you know, with like Tommy Pistol, who's just a hardcore kid from fucking New York. And he was starring in things and James Dean and like all these guys with these backgrounds and these girls that like, um, I was in New York and it was, uh, it was 2009 and I, I was tired of being here. I'd been here for six years. I was at the end of a, uh, of a relationship and I, and I had a friend who worked for kink.com in San Francisco and I was talking to him and he told me that there was a position open up, opened up there for a set decorator. He was like a photo editor. And he's like, dude, you should just apply. What, what could happen? You know? So I applied and the art, art director for kink.com called me and it turned out he was just like an old hardcore guy. You know, Love he was it. like an old Love. punk guy. <laughs> yeah. And I flew out there and I did my interview and he basically, he was like, you have no set decorating um, background, but you clearly are a designer. And so basically you just, you know, you're just putting things in a room like you would put things on a record cover. He's like, so I have, I have full faith that you could do this. And it was again, just another one of those like fucking lucky things where I just was like, Oh, awesome. You know, like, so I went and did that and I had a very clear kind of, uh, kind of path that I, I wanted to be. I was like, okay, well this is my in. 
Like I'm, I'm in the industry now and I'm going to fucking direct. Okay. I'm going to make my way into kink.com. I'm going to flash everybody with my fucking info on like the history of BDSM pornography and know all about porn and know all about film in general. And I really had made my bones and I, and I made myself really essential to the creative process there. It is the greatest job I've ever had and the greatest job I ever will have. And what ended up happening was that, um, towards the end of my last year there, I had finally gotten an opportunity to direct a few, like they, some test shoots. And I had created uh, kind of, you know, decks for a couple sites, you know, that, that kind of fit into the kink world. And I was able to direct a couple of, uh, you know, test shoots that did really well on their on-demand channel. But what kind of happened at the end is, is that like I had made myself too uh, useful for some of the directors and their visions, you know, um, they relied on me too much. And there's this very famous meeting that apparently happened where they talked about moving me to an assistant director position or something like that. And a couple of directors just straight up turned against me and said that like, no, we can't move Chris because he's essential as a set decorator. He's invested and he's excited and we don't want to move him to director because we don't want to lose. We don't want to get somebody who's just going to put a dirty mattress on the floor. Chris is going to put a dirty mattress on the floor and then he's going to go outside to fucking mission and pull a bunch of garbage cans in and dump them everywhere. You know what I mean? He's going to make it more than that. So I basically screwed myself at being too good at the job of a set decorator. Right. You know, and, uh, but you know, I was writing scripts with people. I was developing ideas and I was showing people pornography that worked there that were directors who maybe just didn't realize that what they were doing maybe had been done before you know, and so it was, it was, it was a fucking incredible job. Really, right. truly. And like, not for the obvious reasons. No, and, no. To- you know, I, and, and I mean, I that's a perk. You. Like yeah. be, being on set and being a voyeur and watching two people fucking, you know, fuck each other is a hilariously weird thing to see, you yes. know, and also realizing how unerotic it is. You know, right. this, is, <laughs> this is literally just a job. This is yep. simply business. Let's go. Yeah. yeah no, totally. And everybody acted like that. Now, some some porn companies aren't like kink.com. Kink was a little bit different because they owned this giant building in San Francisco. And it kind of was like like an old like like 30s. Like it was like RKO in the 30s or something. It was like you were, you know, they had sets in the building and they had a wardrobe and they had it and they had a cafeteria. It was like a studio, like a proper studio. Right. You're a contract player. Yeah. Whereas like someplace like evil angel or something like that, who are in the Valley in LA are just like working out of a warehouse and they are renting the, the one mansion that you've seen a million times. Like you've seen like Sasha Gray, fuck somebody in or fucking Jenna Jameson, fuck somebody in like, and it was a whole different beast. And it was really, fortuitous too because it was such a weird dark place and you could do dungeon shoots and you could do horror shoots and you could do these cool things that i was interested in and like i would have loved to done like a beach babe and a beach dude fucking each other in a beach house but we didn't have that capability but i got to like throw chains everywhere and do a fucking hellraiser shoot or do a videodrome shoot it was neat it was a really incredible job and it was the only time ever in my life where i've been like yeah this is what i want to do and I was right, right you know? This is it. Yeah, this is the art. I, I and then it. at the end, I was like, well, they're not going to let me do what I want. And I did 
you know, and I was like, well, fuck this. I just met my, you know, who's eventually I, uh, my wife who I got married to. I had met her and we were having a long distance relationship. And I was like, you know what? Fuck all this, man. I'm going back to the East Coast, you know, right. and, and, and then I bounced, you know, so. Sure. And I mean, I, I'm not going to belabor all the, you know, different art projects that you have been involved in because clearly sure. you've worked, you know, a lot within the context of the punk and hardcore scene. Sure. Um, this uh, this also may be a loaded question, but like, do you still, you know, I guess like, care about music? Like, do you still feel connected to it, or is it difficult in the same way that you're like, oh yeah, like <laughs> this is a my bird to bear with this art that I got to keep doing or whatever? Do you still, you know, are there still bands that you care about and listen to and stay active with that? No, got it. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, like here's the the kind of position I'm at. As far as like punk and hardcore goes, I think even when I was involved in punk and hardcore, like I didn't really like punk and hardcore, you know, like, and the only thing that kind of like has sustained through my life is metal, you know, like it's been my through line. I still listen to new death metal bands. I I don't actively chase things, but I, I, I often will just be like, you know, most of the time I just wait until literally December and I wait for everybody's end of year lists and I go, oh, sick! Here's a uh, here's a blood incantation incantation record I didn't know came out, sure. or or there's some bands I keep up with because I'm friendly with, like you know Chase from Gate Creeper. You know what I mean? Yep. So I I know a Gate Creeper record's coming out, and I'm going to listen to it the day it comes out. But a lot of things just kind of miss me because I it's not that I don't care. It's just it's just not not my thing. You know, it's like it's pri- right. It's not your yeah, priority. Yeah, it's not my priority. I I you know. But like, but you can almost 100% always fucking miss me on new punk and hardcore records. I don't give a shit. Like sure. when I hear something cool, I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. But it's like, like I always say this about like, like, uh, like I say this about like white stripes records, right? You hear a white stripes record that comes out and you're like, damn, dude, this guy can play guitar. And this recording is really pe- peculiar and interesting and everything sounds right. And it's very cool sounding record that I'm never going to listen to again. So when there's like a new hardcore punk record that everyone's like, oh my God, you got to fucking hear whatever. I I don't even know anymore. You got to hear fucking Chubby and the gang or whatever. And I, and I like, yeah, cool. And I hear it and I go, yeah, this is sick. Anyways. um, (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) Moving right along. I'm going to go ahead and put on fucking Morbid Angels, Blessed or the Sick again, because that's a record I listen to at least once a week. So, and it's like not a jaded thing. It's just like, it's just not my passion. You know what I mean? And I'm part of the world of, punk and hardcore more than anything else for obvious reasons because that's where i landed um and you know and 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 definitely in like a punk and hardcore or more a punk scene that i just i couldn't be less interested in you know like yeah but no i i I, I totally get it especially too where it's like and and i think you should be yeah i mean rightfully so like clear-eyed about the fact that even though you can exist within a scene like that is not the style of music that i mean you could probably go through the list of every popular, you know, band within the warp tour genre or affiliated, and they don't listen to anything of what their band sounds like. Oh, and, cool. dude, you don't even know what the Reversal of Man combat bands were like. We were just bumping fucking Sarah McLaughlin and shit. Right. You, think, you think I want to listen to fucking Ursap Synapse or whatever in the fucking van or Crudos? Dude, no after way. we have to play to a bunch of fucking sweaty idiots and fucking like you know, Providence or something. No, we're in the fucking van listening to Ida 
or Elliot fucking Smith or whatever. You know what I mean? Like we're not, yeah. you know, like we're listening. To, the hardest we got was like, oh, cool. Like let's listen to Jawbreaker really quick. You know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> you know, so totally. No. And, and, right. And especially because it's like once you become, you know, an adult and you are not so intrinsically attached to a particular scene or whatever, you're just like, oh, yeah, like I just like this music and, you know, that's fine. There's no one's going to blink an eye at it. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So, yeah. but yeah, no, but to answer your question, no, I don't keep up, but you know, I'm, I'm aware, you know, right. I can yeah, make jokes about turnstile, you know yes, what I mean? You like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're like, I know that bad, right? Of yeah. Course. Like basically like the third eye blind of hardcore. Like, so like, you know, I, I could definitely do that, you know, but, but in general, well, you know, well, and when something true. like, when something like rises to the top like that, I'm always interested to just hear what everybody's excited about. And I listen to it and I go, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, not, anyways, not not for me, right? Not right. for me, you know. I, I, you know, and, and I don't go back on a lot of like, you know. I think maybe more from that era, even when of things that I ignored, I've I've taken a second look at and been like, oh, this is actually pretty sick. Like, you know, I I hear hate breed now, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck I was even thinking about like clowning on fucking Jamie in like 1998. You know what I mean? Now I hear that shit, and I'm like, yo, this stuff is sick as fuck, dude. Like, what was I even thinking? But I'm still not really listening to it, you know, or yeah. or even shit like Earth Crisis, which obviously Reversal has like such such a torrid, silly kind of story about. I hear Earth Crisis, old Earth Crisis records. I'm like, dude, this shit slaps, dude. I don't even know what the fuck I was even <laughs> thinking at this point in time. This stuff is awesome, you know. And then I go we- back and I listen to something from my my from that era that I loved, like the Honeywell record or the first Antioch arrow. And I think to myself, dude, these records stink, dude. I hate these records. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> hero- heroin was a bad band. I don't care what anybody says, you know, like, so, but it's all stuff that I was so interested in at that time being in these bands, you know? Yeah, um, no, a- absolutely. I totally get so, that. Yeah. The uh, last two things I want to hit on was the, sure. I, I presume like there, there would be zero desire for you to uh, play in a band again. Or am I wrong about that? <laughs> you, you're, you're right. Um, okay. <laughs> but, but you're, but this is a good lead in because we're about to be in the, the era of uh, 46 year old dudes who are remembering their fucking youth, who got a little bit of fucking traction from like the, the, the 19 year old, like surge of scrams. Like, and the, the kids who like love their band or this year, everybody is not like, there's a ton of bands this year that are not going to be leaving the bag on the table. You no, know, obviously, or, obviously Orchid, which I'm like involved in on an art level, like this wave of Orchid shows. Yep. And like, obviously we're seeing Dillinger escape plan happening, but, um, I, I mean, whatever, I don't, I'm going to blow up the whole dude, all the dude's spot. We've talked about it. Like, sure. I, I can I can only imagine, especially when you've seen all of your friends that are just like, it's like, what what is preventing us? Like, there is no reason that we shouldn't do this because, well, they, I mean, <laughs> I, no, well, yeah, the idea, the, I understand the, the idea of when you actually care about the other people, like we were talking about the waxing nostalgic about your friends where it's just like, oh, yeah, it'd be fun like to do that again because we actually like still care about each other and are connected. But yeah, anyways, continue. Well, like for... Yeah, it's whatever. It's come up. Com- sure. Reversal, because we got asked to do these Orchid shows. Like, Combat Re- did. Like, because, sure. like, those dudes, obviously, like, we played their last shows and we were a very, um, 
you know, entwined in their world and we've been friends forever. And Will and I, Will was like one of the first friends I ever got when we started being in bands and started being interested in things that were just below the level, you know? Mm-hmm. So Will from, from Orchid was, has been my friend for like, I don't know, fucking 30 years. And so I, you know, we talked about it, but it, we had a really sobering conversation. Um, Dan Raddy and I, who, you know, played the other guitar in combat at the end and was in mm-hmm. reversal we had this just a sobering conversation where we were like, yeah, we could do it. And it goes against everything that I, I think is, you know, like I don't ever want to do something with combat or it, that is uh, helpful to anybody else. So getting back together means people could see us. And I think that that's disgusting. And, but also like we just had a real conversation where we were like, dude, those old combat songs aren't like real songs. So, <laughs> Trying to the the effort that it would take to figure out pre Jason Hammerker when Jason Hammerker from Frodus joined Combat that the band changed massively because he's a different kind of drummer and we didn't want to be in hardcore bands anymore we wanted to be in like fucking AMRAP bands so when you get to the the last two Combat releases they sound they're not blistering fucking crazy thirty second blasts they're like oh yeah we've definitely been listening to Drive Like Jehu and fucking AMRAP bands and Unsane and shit you know so. We, but we both thought to ourselves, like, dude, the amount of effort it would take to figure out any fucking song from the LP or the seven inches, it's just like, it's just not worth our fucking time. Like, you know, like, and we're just not interested. And with reversal, it's probably would be a little different. Conversations have come up, but we've never really decided on anything. But sure. if somebody's going to be, if somebody from that camp that those those two bands is going to end up doing it, it will probably be reversal. When it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, who fucking knows? I'm surprised Jeff didn't talk about it because he's probably trying to be secretive about it. But I don't give a shit. Everybody's yeah. out there fucking reuniting. Some of it's cynical. For me, it would be cynical. I'd be like, "Are you guys kidding me? We're not taking this money and fucking donating it to fucking some fucking you know farm or some fucking shelter or something like that, dude. We're taking this money and we're going to pay our bills with it." You know, like, I don't, I'm not fucking interested in getting a a reunion for any reason other than to secure the bag. Truthfully, I love the boys and, but I don't think we need to hold guitars again and be embarrassed in front of a bunch of people. (laughs) You know what I mean? That being said, in the right context, I don't give a shit. If there's money involved, of course I'm going to get involved because I love, I I love money. You know, if everything's going to be paid for and we're not really stressing it and I just have to take a couple weeks off of work here and there, fly to Florida and pick up a guitar that I've not picked up in fucking 22 years, then yeah, sure, let's do it. But I like, I appreciate everybody's like, you know, I know some of it's more rooted in like people's midlife crisis. Um all right, these buying reunions, a sport, buying, buying a sports car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. essentially like the hardcore kids' sports car. You're like, oh, you had some heat in your 20s with your shitty little band that released something on Ebullition or whatever, fucking you know, King of the Monsters or whatever these fucking old fucking labels are. And now like you're a meme on a Scrams account, and everybody like likes your records and shit like that. And you start seeing things happening more. I can understand how you think to yourself, yeah, I could get together and we could play some fucking fest or we could play a couple shows and people will be like super interested in us. And sometimes it works out. Like in the case of like watching Jerome's dream come back, that's been exciting because they're actually turning out music, new music. And it's totally. and it's blistering and crazy and Eric and Jeff and all the, and the other guys or whatever they're they're producing cool cool music and it's neat and they're really actually interested in like 
combat would just get back together for the fucking cash. We'd play badly. And that would be funny to me, but I also just don't want to put the effort in, you know, and with reversal, that's a different bag altogether because it wasn't my band, you know? So like, you know, and, and, and arguably like not arguably, truthfully, like took it more seriously. Yes, of course. 100%. They were a real fucking band. Dude, combat was a weekend band that like got lucky, you know, and like reversal, it was like, you know, listen, if, if reversal, I always say this, and I'll say it here too. If Reversal Man uh, would have made would have gotten home from our European tour that we broke up after, if that European tour would have went well, we'd probably still be a band, or we would have been a band longer, and we probably would have had mm, a modicum of some sort of career for a little while. But we got home from Europe. We were battle worn, and we didn't want to do it anymore because because right. it's just like we were like. We were tired of fucking hardcore kids. We were tired of being hardcore kids. And we just had a really terrible, like, seven weeks in Europe. That is amazing to tell stories about now, but we came home pretty fucking beat. Oh, and I can only I can only imagine. Yeah, and that, we lost that. our drummer, so we couldn't go on what was another six-week tour that we had planned with Kill the Man Who Questions. We did fucking, like, a week and a half with a fill-in drummer, which was Jeremy from Kill the Man Who Questions. And we fucking... And we were like, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> right. This sucks. We're <laughs> this done. sucks. Thank you. And yeah. then we did a couple combat shows and, you know, and that was like a part-time thing. And we played those shows with Orchid, their last, their final shows. And then we were like, we don't want to do this anymore either. And I left and I left Florida for New York in 2003. And that was the end of it, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. But yes, who knows? Right. The door, the door is open, but yeah, the door is open. Probably not for combat, but maybe eventually reversal, but mostly because like Dan Rowdy and I don't want to figure out combat songs. That's really what it comes down to. I I completely appreciate the honesty. I totally (laughs) get that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's like, yeah, sure. But I'm like, dude, the really actually good stuff is the, is the fast stuff. And, and we're just like, I'm like, I'd love to play that, but I'm like, I don't really want to figure it out. I don't care. So. Yeah, it's too, a, little, a little too hard. Not interested. Little, yeah, yeah. That, if it's too hard, if if it becomes, if I have to break even a little bit of a sweat on something, I'm going to abandon it. I don't want to work that hard. Right. You full, know? full stop. Full pass. I'll, yeah. I'll just go to Florida and see the boys, and we'll go to dinner, and we'll fucking like talk about our lives, and that's better than having to be like, oh, god, dude, we're at the venue early, and it's what time do we go on? And then we sweat for fucking twenty minutes, and I'm like, why did we do this? Like so, we could have just had dinner. It would have been even yeah, better. <laughs> we all have jobs that pay us pretty all right. Why do we even do this for the money? This sucks, dude. So, <laughs> right. Well, the uh, apologies for the hacky question on oh, the dude. last the the last thing I want to ask. Where sure. because I mean because you you know do not mince words in regards to obviously <laughs> your art and the way that you uh, look back on it. There has to be, you know, I'm putting you on the spot of no, there no. has to be a project that you were that you look back that you were happy you were involved with. I know they're all they're your own special children or what have you. But like, is there anything you look you back want on me to with? hang up on this podcast right now? My own special children. No, I know. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd say it. I'm I, done. Bye. Yeah, um. we're done. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I affectionately put that in air quotes. So, I, but. I thought I thought I thought maybe that was the case. I know that you understand who you're talking to. Um, I do. I do. So. so like, yeah, is there is there stuff you look back on that you're just like, yo, this is sick that I was involved in this, like mm-hmm. not even so much like like removing 
removing your own personal opinion on like, oh, my skill was very good here, but like yeah. you were just glad to be involved with. I think that the combat discography um, with the the vomiting guts guy, um, I think that that record and that layout is fucking incredible. Um, I think that uh, for like, there's plenty of like intent and then you know fumbling in a lot of a lot of any uh, still to this day of of what I do, but I think the intent to uh, execution to final product of that is incredible. I think that uh, the Against Me um, uh, record, the Dysphoria Blues record, I think is probably the classiest, nicest thing I've ever designed um, that I think is, is very, is very very good, uh, a good-looking record. And... I mean, there are a couple things here and there. There are things that I'm, 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 I do a lot of things now that I'm far more interested in, um, because I've been, whatever. Listen, I talk a lot of shit about Steak Mountain, and I goof on the fucking art, and I goof on people who like it, and things like that. But it's, it's afforded me a very cool, like, alternate version of life to be able to do and eventually be involved in neat things. And I've been working a lot for this. Um, company called Vinegar Syndrome that does a lot of like rescuing of uh, old exploitation movies and things like that. And there's a uh, a couple people there who work there, uh, Justin LaLiberty and, and Ryan Emerson, who started Vinegar Syndrome, who are combat guys or against me guys or both, who okay. had been able to hire me to do slip covers for cool movies and stuff like that. So it's that recently has been in the past couple of years of working with them and and that kind of kind of bleeding into doing other like kind of cool uh you know art things for movies sorry the uh hasidic people across the street just started blasting their fucking hanukkah music so we're going to be bumping that in the the final moments here they have like a like one of those like light up party speakers that they put outside their their space (laughs) and they just blast it from basically now till nine o'clock um, yeah, well, happy, incredible. happy Annika, everybody. happy Annika, everybody. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, but being able to like the road that has taken me from being, uh, like a sweaty kid in Florida to being able to do cool movie stuff, because that's obviously my passion has been neat. Yeah. Um, so like recently that's been really exciting. Truthfully speaking, being part of this orchid thing is really cool to me just because it's old friends getting back together yeah. and you know what we have planned for these shows coming up and the, the work that I'm going to be making and what I'm kind of across on that level is fun. But as far as the past goes, yeah, I've done a lot of cool shit, but really like the standouts are in a career of doing dumb shit. Um, I feel like that combat discography and that, that against me record are key moments of you know uh intent execution to final product are pristine and exactly what they should be and so i looked at that stuff and i'm like damn but i knew that shit at the moment like that's not Mm -hmm. nostalgia looking back when we finished that combat discography i was like this like like fucking whatever like fucking brad pitt at the end of inglorious bastards like this might well be my masterpiece you know so it's like if i go out here we're good man yeah like if i stopped today like we're cool, man. Two thousand five. I'm. It's over, dude. Why did it even go go on past that? But um, but yeah, no. I think that that's really great. And and somewhere in there, people will. Pro- I'll probably get reminded. I'm about to start working on this thing that I've resisted for years, which is essentially creating a monograph of for the past thirty some odd years of Stake Mountain artwork. Um, but I kind of cracked the code on how I want to present it, and it's going to be antagonistic 
and uh, lazy and mean. And I think that that's fucking hilarious. So there's a Steak Mountain overview, like 30 years of Steak Mountain book that I'm about to start working on. So I'm sure as I start picking things to put inside of it, I'll probably see things that I'm like, oh, wow, this turned out. I forgot about this or, you know, this is a neat thing that I did. But standouts, those are the those are the two main standouts, you know, so they're they're great. They're great looking records. They're they're also just, you know, they're uh, they're cool records, just even on a musical level for against me. Like that's to me their best record. Um because also uh, intent to execution to final product all makes sense. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the band, I respect Laura's songwriting craft. I always have. So like over the years, I've made a lot of offhand comments about the group just because that's my bit. But like realistically, like I've always respected Laura's uh, ability to take what I consider to be Gainesville fucking cargo pants punk that I think is garbage and turn it into actual gold. You know, so like. It's a it's a cool record to me, you know, and obviously it yeah. has like an, an emotional heft for her, and that's interesting, you know. So, yeah, um, oh, and it's absolutely. cool to be a part of that, you know. So, yeah. yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. Well, Chris, we've done it. We made it through the uh, you know Hanukkah wishes. Your <laughs> phone didn't go off. We killed it, and I yeah. genuinely genuinely appreciate you letting me ping pong around your brain with this stuff. No, that's great, and I'm glad you kept me under basically an hour because. You know, I talk too much. So what a dude. I really enjoyed that conversation because, you know, the sarcasm is off the charts. I personally love sarcasm. And so the fact that, uh, you know, he just kind of takes, takes the piss out of himself and it's, uh, it's, it's just fun to kind of, you know, explore that. And I really appreciate Chris's artwork and his time in having this conversation. Next week, I have a vocalist for a legendary Swedish hardcore band. And no, I'm not talking about Refused. I am talking about Abenanda. I have Jose Saxland on the podcast. We're celebrating the Abenanda discography coming out on vinyl on Into Hits Records. And I, I love this band. I actually got a chance to play with them, oh man, probably like 2011 or 12 over in Japan. I shared the stage with them at a festival. And yeah, I've just always really, really enjoyed Abenanda. Um, this, you know, weird sort of like, they are obviously heavier hardcore, but then they have so much depth in regards to the lyrics as far as, you know, emotions, et cetera, et cetera. So I was uh, very happy to have this conversation with Jose as he was, uh, I think he was in Berlin, Germany when we caught up with him. So that's what we got next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.